We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 011, yes, that is 11 of the VM NBA show. I guess I'm your host today, Nick the Lamb, my running mate in the backcourt, Impy, cannot be with us today. Uh, Tim, it always comes off as like something really bad happened to the person when we say that, but like he just couldn't make it to this episode. So I got my guy, the stretch four, stepping into the starting five. You know we gotta run some pick and rolls today. We can't pick it out. We can't kick it out to Impy. So we gotta we gotta attack the basket. Old school. The 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 one the one four pick and roll that uh it seems like Denver is giving a lot of people some trouble with. So Tim yeah, is with us. Like the it seems like the Golden State Warriors have figured out how Clint Capella does that because he hasn't done shit with that pick and roll. Yeah, there is a there's a lot to dive in to with. Uh, Sort of gonna, just going to do a recap of what we've seen and maybe outlook the rest of the playoffs uh, going forward. We'll start off, I guess, with some... Uh, let's just get it out the way quick because a lot of the questions that I got from you guys for VM Shootaround, and once again, thank you, we got about 10 responses. Tim, for the most part, they're all tied into the playoffs, so there wasn't really one particular question that I want to bring up. But there is a question that I think is going to get you going. Okay. All right. First of all... Uh, I like this guy's username and his handle. Um, his uh, his username is Please Fire Dave Gettleman, <laughs> and it's at Giants Stink. So, all right, at the moment, okay. fine, that's fair. That's uh, an angry Giants fan right there. Yeah. So, remember, guys, every Wednesday, tune into Twitter. Sometimes in the Discord, if you're a Patreon member, and if you want to be a Patreon member, it's Patreon.com/slash Veterans Minimum. 
Get access to the Discord where you have exclusive access to Joe, Boss, Impy, Tim, and your boy at all hours of the night. Tim, there's some times where that shit is popping at like 2 a.m. I don't doubt it, except I'm not popping at 2 a.m. My dreams <laughs> are popping at 2 a.m. Catch me at like 5 p.m. <laughs> that's, that's more my style. I feel that. All right, so back to uh, Giants Stink on Twitter. Would you guys like to see Melo back on the Knicks as a bench option? Tim, the floor is yours. Yo, let me tell you something, man. All right. So I've documented many times how I feel about, about Melo, but I don't think I've documented it here on the NBA show officially. For those of you who may be new to VM and just listening to the NBA show, I'm a Knicks fan. I've watched much Knicks in my life. Uh, I used to watch every game, even back when guys like Othello Harrington and Keith Van Horn were pulling the squad. So I am, I'm, I'm a Knicks. You could call me a fanatic, especially in those in those early mellow years and and beyond. I don't even want Carmelo Anthony sitting behind the bench as a guest at a home game. <laughs> Stay as far away from this fucking team as humanly possible. Your contract drained us for de- for a, almost a decade. You were dead weight when you were on the court. You were dead weight in the salary cap. You are dead weight now. That's why no one in the NBA wants you. Look, not that you can't shoot the ball. Congratulations. You can shoot the ball mediocrely. The game has evolved past you. You don't shoot well enough to be just a shooter in today's game. And you refuse to take a role that's not a starter or a star player. And when you stop the ball as much as Melo does, even in his prime, you stall offenses. And one thing that we've seen from the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, yo, I may hate the, the Rockets and the way they play, but the amount of skill and the excellent coaching on both those squads and the amount of passes, watching the Golden State Warriors play is like watching Beethoven do a concerto. I, it's just like, it's poetry in motion. It's pass, 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 pass. It's unselfishness. It's constant ball movement. They, you don't see anyone ever put on the floor. It's three dribbles, and you're either driving, you're kicking it to someone else. Melo stops that from happening, so no. I do not want Melo back in the Knicks as a bench player. I don't want Melo in Madison Square Garden. I don't want him to still live in New York City. I, I don't <laughs> want anything to do with Melo. <laughs> all right. There's a lot to unpack over there. First of all, you mentioned poetry in motion and a concerto. I immediately thought Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian, but that's just a wrestling fan in me. There you go. <laughs> no, there number you go. two, you go. you're going to be really pissed off when his jersey gets oh, retired because I'm telling you it's happening. I don't understand it. Honestly, They're going like- to hang the number seven at the garden, bro. And look, I wasn't the biggest Melo guy. I, I, I totally agree. Everything you say about Melo is true. I also think that, you know, he was dealt a shitty hand. Did he play a role in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, he had like 27 different coaches. I think he had the most uh, starting fives alongside him combinations of the entire like his tenure with the Knicks it's higher than anyone else's by a landslide it's like it's like James Harden free throws uh three free throw attempts in the regular season I I mean that's a fair point I will will give it like and just to think like his number two was J.R. Smith not only in Denver but also in New York that is it's a bad hand to be dealt that's true that's true it's rough but uh, yeah, you know, you know, one of the reasons why uh, um, this fan 
asked this question is because there's a lot of buzz, you know, someone asked him that and he said, Hey man, if they'd be open to it, I'd be open to it too. You know, uh, I don't know if it humbled him not being able to play all of this year. Um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, I guess we'll find out what the future holds for Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I know as Nick fans, we have May 14th circled. Cause that's a big day for us, Tim. Yes, sir. NBA lottery. We need, we need all the balls. We need all the balls. All of them. <laughs> yeah. We, we need, need all we of need them. Frozen to... envelopes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get uh, Zion over here at the Garden. All right. Enough about that. Tim, I think the big hot button issue that we need to dive into right away is the officiating. Um, a lot of controversy at the end and throughout the Golden State Warriors Houston Rockets opening game in the series uh a 4 point win for the Warriors um a lot has been said right about the officiating i just want to start this off by saying the officiating has been bad i don't know what happened in the second round of the playoffs so far but there's been some horrible horrible officiating mistakes whether it's in uh the Sixers and Raptors series, some no calls on uh, Kyrie and, and Jalen Brown at the cup. And then with Giannis also, obviously it's well documented what's been going on in the Golden State and Rockets series. Um, the Blazers and Nuggets, it doesn't seem to have any complaints, but overall the officiating has been rough. Uh, how do you feel about how the officiating has been in the playoffs? I think that every year, um, whether you agree with it or not, the officiating does it turns up a notch in the playoffs. And what I, what I mean by that is like, they let the guys get away with more. They let them play a little more. They let them bump a little more. They let them hand check a little more. Um, they let them get a little more physical. Uh, they let them wrestle a little more down low. Everything is a little turned up physically in the playoffs. And I just think that that's getting lost on a lot of people right now. I think that the, this is how it always is. Like, I, yes, maybe you perceive some of these as missed calls, but a lot of these missed calls could just be perceived as guys playing uh, hard. Like, none of mm -hmm. these calls would have been calls that would have been in the 90s. A few, uh, don't get me wrong. It's not like the officiating has been perfect, but I think it's been overblown. I think a lot of this has been overblown because of Rockets' propaganda, honestly. Like, how, how they got game seven audited like they all they talk about is the refs like Draymond Green mentioned it. He said it's kind of embarrassing for the NBA that the refs have been the major talk in all of sports media. And I agree with him, man. I, I a lot of it is OK. Yes, the refs miss some calls, but they're human. They're going to miss calls. Uh, I just think it's they're letting them play a little more. And I, I honestly don't have a problem with the officiating outside of the egregious calls that you just have to expect to be made. And if you're a fan of that team, it kills you. If you're not, then, you know, it, it happens. It's, it's part of the human element of the game. I mean, as far as what they did going back to last year's conference finals, game seven, and complaining about the refs, and apparently, that you know, they ran the analytics and whatnot, and how, you know, that missed bucket because it was a no call led to a transition three and whatnot, or, you know, Steph Curry got fouled on an and one kind of thing. It's like, yo, dog, you know what I know happened in game seven? You motherfuckers missed 27 straight threes. Can you Word. hit a three? A three probably wins you. One. One for 27 probably wins you that game at yeah. any point. Because, I, I, you know, if if I remember correctly, it was a single-digit win. It was like seven or eight points. Um, One, a three. Not many. Ah, uh, one. 
Yeah. O N E changes that whole game. Like, and who knows? Yo, you were the better team than the Cavs, right? You probably would have had a ring right now. And the entire narrative changes, right? Tim won't be tweeting every chance he gets just shitting <laughs> on James Harden. You know what I'm saying? D'Antoni finally wins a big one kind of thing, you know? So just don't miss 27 threes, man. And look, you know, you know, me and Tim guys, if you guys have been listening to the show, we always go at it, whether it's uh uh, James Harden MVP debate, whether it's a James Harden solid play, whether it's the Rockets as a contender. And, yo, you can't miss 27 threes, man. And even James Harden, I think this is a perfect segue. Yo, I, I like to admit when I'm wrong. And, I and Tim, you're right on James Harden. Whoa. Yeah, you are right. Ladies and gentlemen, I am admitting defeat in this debate. I- Yo, you know we're you know we're being recorded right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, look, <laughs> look. You know, you, you know, when, when I'm wrong, I like to admit it. When I'm right, I love to admit it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yo, here's the thing, right? I I, I uh, I've been doing some uh, some watching from a from like a different perspective, where you know, in the regular season, a, a lot of things change between the regular season and the playoffs, right? In one week, you might see four different teams, so you can't really game plan for that said player the way you can now. And that's what I think happens to James Harden, the Russell Westbrooks come the playoffs. And especially guys that shoot a lot and aren't necessarily high percentage makers. Did we freeze? Uh, no, I mean we're we're still we're still here. Oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I agree, I agree. With Ladies you. and gentlemen, Tim Petrov. <laughs> I look. I, I agree with you. Uh, obviously, like I think one thing that you're seeing now with with the Rockets in general, not just James Harden, is they were kind of not built to beat the Warriors. They were kind of built to be the Warriors, and every single thing that they do is just like a notch below what the Warriors do. So it's like they're just gonna be stipend like. Steph Curry is a notch above uh, uh, Chris Paul, and Kevin Durant is a notch above James Harden, and uh, the, uh, Draymond Green is a notch above Clint Capella. It's like 1A, 1B, and they can't get over that little A hump, and I think you got it right. It's These, this, these tricky plays that James Harden pulls and these uh, seductive moves to the basket that make everyone love him and these ways that he draws fouls, it's not going to be the same when you have guys that can game plan against it for seven straight games. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's it. I just don't see. Yeah, this a lot of it. You see this a lot in playoffs in general. Uh, yeah. You saw it with AI. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, like you he had just that read one my great mind. Year, right? He had that one great year, but most of the time, the Sixers in the playoffs and they get bounced early because AI was shooting 40%. He was shooting 30 times, you know? So it's 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 a different game in the playoffs. It's just a different season. That's why I admittedly, uh, I'm very loose with the NBA until the playoffs, and then I'm like all in just because the game changes, and it's just a, it's just a very different uh, game and a, a much more physical and much more up-tempo game. And I, I just think the Rockets aren't built for that. Yeah, and, you know, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, uh, Allen Iverson to a certain extent, uh, John Wall even to a certain extent. It's guys that their team, for them to be successful, they have to shoot 25, 30 times, right? Uh, And they don't really shoot high percentages for the most part. I mean, like actual jump shots, you know, when, when you lay it up and you dunk, that inflates your field goal percentage. 
But those guys come playoff time, and that's why I think throughout the history of the league, right? Remember those Suns teams, the D'Antoni Suns? It's like, dude, they were running this. Uh, they were the Golden State Warriors 15 years before the Warriors came about. They were doing all this shit, and they were running rough shop through the NBA regular season because teams weren't accustomed to that kind of spacing, that quick tempo, that up-and-down kind of basketball. But then when the Spurs came into town, you're right. It's like, yo, I'm going to see you now for seven games. Oh, so that's how you slow down Steve Nash and and uh, Quentin Richardson and uh, all these other, and Josh Richardson and all these other guys, you know? So it's easier to game plan around. And that, that's what I think happens with, with James Harden here. And look at the the combining factor in a sense. Mike D'Antoni, the head coach. One of the things that we've heard about Mike D'Antoni from the beginning of this road is he is a regular season coach and not necessarily a playoff coach. And time and time again is being seen. He's not changing anything. And he's going with everything that he went to in the regular season and he doesn't have a backup plan. And you'd think that after all this time, he'd have a backup plan of some sort. Like if you just decided in the next game to feature Clint Capella more uh, in the paint, the, the Warriors would be completely flabbergasted. They'd have to adjust and then you could kick it out a little bit more. Now, saying is a lot easier than doing. I understand. I'm not acting like I have the answer. But just the the idea of maybe changing it up a little bit never even crosses the mind of D'Antoni. And I think when you look at great coaches around uh, around the entire any league, whether it's Greg Popovich or Bill Belichick, what they are known for is their ability to adjust to their opponent and play the weaknesses of their opponent. I mean, look at Greg Popovich. That Spurs team had no... No business mm-hmm. taking the number two seed in the West to seven games. No business at all. But they played to the weaknesses of the Denver Nuggets. And D'Antoni doesn't have that capability. Yep. Yep. And these volume, you know, it's it's good when you live by the three and die by the three. And one of the reasons why I think people were so... They had their concerns about the Warriors in the beginning was can a jump shooting team win, right? But here's the difference. They shoot at a really, really high percentage. And one guy that has taken his game to the absolute next level, Kevin Durant, since his comments, <laughs> Tim, I know you, uh, you feel passionate about players in general, just taking shots at the media and like kind of the, the Russell Westbrook uh, next question approach. And uh, Kevin Durant, man, ever since the, well, I'm Kevin Durant comments. Tim, you see what he's been doing, bro? Yeah, he's been, it seems like he doesn't miss. 38 points per game in the four games since the I'm Kevin Durant comments were made. And you're right. It seems like every jump shot he's taking, every shot he's taking, every decision he's making, bars right there uh, is just dropping. Yeah. Uh, he is playing on a next level right now. Watching him move sometimes doesn't look correct. Like, he's so big that the things he does shouldn't be possible for a human to do without them tearing their ACLs. But he somehow does it, and he continues to amaze. Now, I think right now the popular debate, because God forbid ESPN actually talks about the games, right? So they need to take a game theory and spin it into an overarching theme. So the, the new question that's been on the, the, talk, the talk list on ESPN is, um, is Kevin Durant the best player in the league? And all the talking heads are like, yeah, you know, you know yes, 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 yes. Uh, 
he's playing fantastic, but let's chill out there, all right? Anyone could look like the best player in the league if Steph Curry's standing right next to them. So I, I need to see him do it a little bit more outside of a Warriors uniform before I crown him number one. But he's playing like number one right now, whether it's the defense that it's the, that's not coming because Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are on the floor, or if it's just his skill. It's a combination of both. He is playing uh, outer-worldly right now. I know earlier when we initially dropped this, uh, the changing of VM and we went into this new layout, MB and I had a conversation and we spoke about how, man, it doesn't seem like LeBron James is the best player in the world anymore. And granted, this was at a time where he was on the bench and he was hurt. But I was just getting the vibe where, yo, this guy's been running the league for about 15 years now. This is year 16. Look, Father Time is undefeated unless your name is Tom Brady. And I'm sure before we know it, hopefully for your sake as a Jets fan, uh, it's it's coming sooner rather than later. But Father Time is undefeated, man. And it just seemed like this year, you know, Giannis took the next step. Uh, Duran has taken the next step. Kawhi came back. Now, I'm not saying that those guys... I don't know which one of them is the best player in the world right now. If I had to make a pick, I'd probably pick Durant. Uh, it just seems like this is the best and the highest level of basketball that he's ever played in his career. Uh, it's it's hard not to pick him, man. It's really hard. Let's let's flip it. Kawhi Leonard is currently dominating um, in his series against the 76ers. Imagine if he had Steph Curry next to him. How much easier for it would have him to score. Yanis, right? He's dominating. He, well, he's not really dominating. He's had two decent games last last week. I mean, yesterday, a much better game than in game one. But if he has Chris Middleton to kick it out to, who had a great game in game two, but, you know, what if he had Steph to kick it out to? What if he had Clay? So I, I just don't want to crown him best player in the NBA quite yet, especially if he's playing with... If he goes to the Knicks or if he goes to, like, the Clippers next year and he does this... Uh, then I'll be okay. Then I will crown. And it won't even take me long. Like if he does this in 15 games, I'll crown him best player. You know, I just need to see it for a little bit. No, that's fair. That's fair because it's it's a lot easier for you to get yours when you got Clay and Curry out there. Right. As the opposed, double teams are less. Yeah, as opposed to having jobbers, using a wrestling term. Um, all right. Is there anything else you want to talk about this uh, Rockets and Warriors series? You know, we, we kind of touched on Harden. We kind of touched on Durant. I mean, do you think it's a wrap? I think it's a wrap, but I think the Lamb special comes out and they yes. win game three. <laughs> I think they win game three at home, but I think it's a wrap. Golden State in five. Yeah, man. It's very, it's very disappointing. I feel like, you know, it's you got to think of it how right now for them to win this series, they need to win four out of the next five. And that's asking a lot. Yo, say what you want about this Warriors team. But since 2014 until now, this is probably the best stretch any NBA team has ever had. Uh, if you look at, you know, they've won countless championships, the three championships in, in five years. Um, probably going to be four championships in five years if you count this year for the most part. Look, they're minus, they're minus 200 to win the NBA Finals right now, according to Vegas. But let's not forget, the one year they didn't win a championship, they, they set the single season win total and if it wasn't for despite the 3-1 uh lead that they blew it's still it's not like they lost game seven tim by 25 points you know kind of yeah. hit a, a wild probably the biggest shot shit in in my lifetime as a basketball fan that and like ray allen's i mean we had this conversation last week but it's up there 
Yeah. For so sure. this this core, you know, sure they add Durant, and obviously that fucking helps. But this is a an all time team that we're looking at. Without a doubt, like I was watching, I, you know how you you put on deodorant after you get out of the shower. Like watching the game is a shower, and I like to double it by watching highlights after. And when you watch the highlights after, like the extended highlights, you really have a chance to, without any distractions, see what kind of ball movement Golden State has and what kind of and how relentless they are. If they stay together, they're going to win the championship for as long as they decide to stay together. Yeah, from look from a basketball perspective, the dumbest thing Durant could do this year is opt out and join any other team. Like, if your mission is to win championships and you want to be in the best basketball environment, there's not a better one than Golden State. God I know help you me don't, if that happens. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, I'm saying, though, but would you agree, though? <laughs> I mean, if you want to win championships, there's no better place to go than Golden State. That's why Boogie Cousins was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to take $5 million and go there. Yeah, and then. You know, and like, then, it's yeah. free. It's free. Yeah. Now, if you want to change your, you know, public perception and you want to be a fan favorite again and you want to win back the popularity contest, you know, your personal to, legacy. Yeah, personal legacy. You know, the one championship in a place like, you know, the Los Angeles Clippers, who's always been the baby brother to the Lakers, right? Uh, a championship with the shit. You you take the Knicks to the Eastern Conference Finals, dog. They're fucking you could do that and then retire the next year. They're putting the Durant jersey up in the rafters. Not for nothing, there's a nice area right in front of Madison Square Garden. It's a little pavilion. A nice statue would look great there. That's all I'm saying. And Kevin Durant, if you come to the Knicks, I promise you, like you said, one time Eastern Conference Finals. One time finals. One time statue. A seven-foot-tall statue of your face I mean, in the, shit, biggest, in the capital of the world. The, the, the biggest pop the garden gets every time is when they show uh, any member of the 94 team, like anyone that played a role in 94, you get a standing ovation in New York in the, in the parks. If you get hit, if you get fouled and you sink a three people still put up the LJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. I've seen that shit. Man. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's stay in the, let's stay in the Western conference. Um, Blazers and Nuggets at the time we're recording. It is 7 o'clock Eastern time Wednesday. This is the only game on the schedule. So the Nuggets are up one nothing on the Blazers. Um, though Dame Lillard, you can't... It wasn't his fault that they lost. I believe he had 39 points in, uh, in game one of the series. But I think the real conversation is... What are your thoughts on the Nuggets, but more so... Can Jokic be the best player on a championship team? <sighs> That's a tough question because be- like he's so unconventional. Yeah. He, he's so, like I'll, again, you watch that game, um, game one, and you know, we're we're Knicks fans and we watched Ennis Cantor a lot. And one thing about Ennis Cantor is and he had he had a lot of points right away, so he paid dividends, but you also saw him got get cooked in the paint. Just mm-hmm. absolutely cooked. And when Jokic steps out and shoots threes, he can't guard him. When he takes a mid-range, he can't guard him. When he gets a one step, he can't guard him, right? So if you have a team that has a center like the Blazers do in Ennis Cantor, right? And then um, I forget the white kid's name, the backup who had that big block. I forget his name. But he's more defensive-minded, and he's a liability in the offensive end. And Cantor is a liability on the defensive end. So you're missing a portion of your game and in the playoffs you need every single bullet you have in the chamber 
So if you're playing against a team that has a center, then yes. But if you have to face a guy like uh, Boogie or a guy like um, even Kevin Durant, who will get help in the paint from Draymond, even Draymond Green will probably uh, guard Jokic. Like that'll be a, more, a harder task, I think, for Jokic because then all of a sudden his uniqueities—that's not a word, but I, I'm I'm saying it—his unique qualities will um, aren't going to be on display. I can't wait to see how it. Like he's still young. I can't wait to see how he how he gets better and better. And I can't wait to see the progress of Jamal Murray. And if that team adds another player who's like a Clay Thompson, right? Let's let's say they add Clay Thompson in the offseason. All of a sudden, that's a championship squad, and Jokic is the best player. Mm. So I think he can be, but I don't think that he can be if he's the focal point of the offense every night, if that makes any sense. Nah, yeah, and, and the guy you were talking about, the, the, the white guy off the bench was Zach Collins. Uh, right, Zach Collins, Zach yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yo, the interesting thing about the Nuggets is, you know, once again, we're going to we're going to plug an earlier take that Impy and I had. You know, we played this game, Tim, where I think it was um, about two weeks after the All-Star break. So let's just say like uh, or mid-March. Right. I asked Impy and, you know, we asked the audience, too, if you could pick one team over the next five years that would win a championship, you couldn't pick the Warriors. Who would it be? And, you know, both Impy and I landed on the Nuggets and. You know, the Jamal Murray being the biggest X factor for sure. I really like Jokic. I think he's the kind of big now that he's so versatile that he throws off a lot of the your game plan, right? If you have a back uh back to the basket kind of center, that's a bad matchup for him against Jokic. But then on the flip side, that's the ideal matchup you want with Jokic having to guard him. His defense is kind of underrated and slept on, but the biggest X factor, I think, is if this dude, Michael Porter Jr., comes back and is the, the big prospect everyone thought he was because I remember Boss, and Boss is our big high school recruit, uh, college basketball guy, and he was the number one pick going into last year's draft, and then he got hurt, the back issues at Missouri, they didn't want to play, wanted to play kind of thing, so that's a name to watch going forward. You throw him into that mix. Watch out for this Nuggets team. I forgot all about him. Wow, you're right. Maybe he is the missing piece that I'm talking about. That could that could very well be the case. Yeah, it could be, man. And and if yeah. and if if Durant and or Clay leave the Warriors this year, maybe you got a brand new Western Conference. Yeah, it definitely would open up things. Um, all right, S- staying with the with this series here. You know, Lillard gave you 39. Uh, Another another high percentage game, man. You know, twelve of twenty one from the field. Uh, little struggles, four of twelve from three. But Lillard's playing out of his mind, man. And I do think that the way he's playing right now, Tim, and, and tell me how you feel about Lillard and what I'm about to say is, I think this series is gonna go seven because he's playing at such a high level where he's gonna steal. Like he might even steal game two tonight, where he just goes absolutely ape shit, you know. But they're getting a lot of uh, they're getting a lot from Cantor, which is I don't know if they expected it. But, you know, twenty six and seven. Sure, he's a liability on defense, but they've been waiting for another guy to help that backcourt. Yeah, I mean, CJ McCollum has to step up in order for them to win. Uh, seven for seventeen is sure. not going to cut it for him. But Damian Lillard shot fifty seven percent yesterday, and 
that's fucking outrageous, especially when you consider he went four for 12 from three. So he was basically unstoppable um, if he wasn't shooting a three, and then he was a little bit over league average if he was shooting a three. So uh, there's no way to stop this guy right now. And I think that uh, you could tell Denver's plan all year was never stop anyone. It was outscore everyone. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if, if the Damian Willard, Lillard could could will them because there was a lot of times in the last game where it seemed like Lillard was getting ready to get hot and then Jokic would uh, muscle his way into the paint or Jamal Murray would hit a uh, mid-range jumper. And it's just that the Denver offense is so relentless sometimes that um, even if Lillard does take over a game, uh, he's going to need some help because unless he scores 50 points every night, uh, they're not going to be in it, and they needed fifty from him. If they would have got fifty from him, they would have they would have won. And that that look, I'm not saying anything bad about Lillard. Thirty nine is uh, more than adequate for what he needs to do, and 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 beyond. Uh, the only thing, the only thing is, you're you're either going to need fifty from Lillard, or you're going to need McCollum to to start producing a little more if you, you want uh, to win this. Because Denver's not going to score under one twenty. They just don't do that, and. Um, if you have Ennis Cantor as your second highest point scorer, then he's going to be a liability on defense while he's in there. So um, they need some help from the other guys, but it's definitely not Damian Lillard's fault that they're down 1-0. That guy is a fucking animal. Yeah, and and once again, you mentioned it before in passing. Jamal Murray is really the X factor. I mean, we, we, we mentioned it every time in that Spurs series. It's like, you know, he has a game like he had that game, that game where he dropped like, I think, 21 points in the fourth quarter. And then he has those games where he's a reason, like he's legit the reason why they win and they lose. Because like Jokic, you kind of get, you know, hypothetically speaking, you get 27, 12, and 8 from him every night, you know? And then Jamal Murray, it's like, what am I getting tonight? So we got we to gotta watch that going forward with uh, Jamal Murray and the Nuggets in this series. All right, let's uh, switch over to the Eastern Conference. Um, kind of a surprise game one. You know, the Milwaukee Bucks, they spent six months trying to get the one seed. <laughs> and in 48 minutes, bedtime, they lose home court advantage. What'd you make of uh, that, that game one and even game two? Just tell me how you feel about this opening opening two games with the Bucks and the Celtics and what you've seen. Um, This is going to sound crazy, but all these analysts that said uh, the, the series is over after after game one with the Celtics... I think that la- the Bucks win kind of cements that sentiment. Um, I don't think the the Bucks, although they won impressively, I don't think that it's a sustainable way to win. Like Yanni's only had seven field goals in the second game. He only had seven field goals in the first game too. And really, this team really does live or die by the three. One of the things that that made them uh, that propelled them to victory was they hit a franchise record in the playoffs. They hit 23s. Chris Middleton was 7 of 10 from 3. Um, Drew, uh, Eric Bledsoe was 7 of 10 from the field. Right? You're not going to have a guy shoot 70% from 3 and a guy shoot 70% from the field every day. Mm-hmm. And the Celtics kind of got caught in that trap, but the Bucks have a lot of deficiencies in their half-court offense. They have a lot of deficiencies. If they, if the Celtics miss their shots and the Bucks are in transition, 
that's a very scary team. But if the Celtics are making their shots and controlling the clock and controlling the pace of play like they did in the first game, um, then it's going to be the Celtics series. I think this series is more the Celtics to lose than the Bucks to lose, even though the, the, the records in the regular season might not reflect that. Uh, I just think because of the, the nature of the matchup. All right, so I hear what you're saying. I kind of disagree, and here's why. Um, they they did something unconventional yesterday. Uh, they they kind of toyed with it throughout the regular season, and they they put Giannis at center in game two for the majority of the game. They took out Brook Lopez. So with Brook Lopez on the court, the Celtics outscored them by 12 points with Brook Lopez on the bench and Giannis at center. Ready for this? Plus 33. That's like, yo, you're looking at like a 40 plus swing. That Giannis at center is, that's a giant, giant, giant advantage. And you mentioned, you mentioned in transition, right? Imagine that fucking guy grabbing a rebound and going, right? And you're talking about like, he's getting it as a center from the center position. What, four steps and he's dunking? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So that's what I think. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that, you know, and Middleton just historically, you know, from playing daily fantasy and with daily fantasy, the cool thing, you know, it goes with every sport. You kind of get an idea of who's really good against certain teams. And like Middleton just kills the Celtics for some weird reason. I don't know if there's like some shit in the past where the Celtics passed up on him in the draft or Someone in Boston wrote a bad article about him, or I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Was he a Celtics fan, and he feels betrayed that he's not with the Celtics? Who knows? But he just always now, look, he's not going to shoot 70% from the, from three every game, but he, he is like a Celtics killer, and you know we always mention how there's guys on certain teams that, for some reason, can't figure out. They just, they just always give it to certain teams. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Middleton was a giant factor in this game. Another another big X factor is Eric Bledsoe. Like if he could be the the guy that he was in this game, like he really played great. And if he could be that third guy, like that's a giant advantage. And that all of a sudden swings the series advantage over to um, over to I'm sorry to the Bucks. Can I ask you guys? Can I ask you a question? Do you know what the status of Chris Middleton is? Because I know in the beginning of the series they were talking about him being back. I mean, not Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon? Yeah, they were talking about him being back in game three. Is that still in play? Yeah, but it's, you know, he was another DMP again. He hasn't really, I don't I don't think he's played in the playoffs for the most part. Um, it, it's, it's up in the air. It's, it's up in the air if he's going to come back. Um, I'm not really sure. It sucks because similar to last year with the Raptors, when they lost Van Vliet towards the tail end of the regular season and then he came back for the playoffs, you know, you can't shake off six weeks of not playing. You can't come back and just be the same guy you were. And That's true. With Brogdon, that's what I'm worried about. Like, I do think he'll come back. I don't know if he comes back. They did say that the middle of the second round is when he would probably come back, most likely. But then again, like, yo, you expect this guy to just come in and be the guy that he was all regular season? No way. You know, he's averaging 15 points a game. He was a big, he was the quarterback of the second unit for them. So, I don't know. It, it's a big loss for them, man. It's a big loss. And, you know, sometimes you might say to yourself, like, yeah, how is the guy off the bench that big of a loss? But just, you know, imagine the Clippers without Lou Williams. Yeah. That's the kind of impact that Brogdon has 
for the Bucks. Now, look, he's not putting the scoring output that Lou Williams is doing, but he is very important for that team. So, I, in all of the champions that have been champions and how going back however many years, one underrated thing that every single one of them has is a high quality sixth man first guy off the bench. So definitely a big piece um, to a championship run. You saw Andre like for the for the Golden State game. Not to go back to that, but um, it, uh, using it as an example, Steph three of thirteen from the field. KD two of uh, nine of twenty two. Clay was nine of three from three. They didn't have great games, but Andre Iguodala stepped up. Mm-hmm. So like when when you have that guy off the bench, it's such a giant X factor. There's always there's always there's always a guy off the bench, man, that has to be a guy that you could bank for, you know, fifteen points. Or just to keep your offense in rhythm. No letting yeah. up on the other team. You have to keep the pedal to the metal there. Um all right. Last series. Uh, actually, how how do you think this series plays out? You know, it's one one now, they're going back to Boston. Do you do you I think you might have said that you think it might be a wrap? No, I mean, I think Boston has the advantage in the series. But with that being said, I think that we still haven't seen the best out of Giannis. And he's put in 20, he put in 29 points on seven field goals. So we haven't seen a situation where he gets hot. Although he's been hot from three. I think he's five of nine in the playoffs so far from three. So, I mean, in this series. So, I, I mean, we haven't seen a game where Giannis gets going. So I think that he's an X factor that could uh, swing things in Milwaukee's favor. But right now, from just what I see on the court, it looks like I don't know if Boston is necessarily the better team, but I do think they're better in this particular matchup. So it's going to be interesting to see. I still think it goes, um, probably goes the distance, at least six. Um, for right now, the Celtics, uh, a little bit of a, an advantage. But, you know, my, my guy's Yanni, so I can't count him out just yet. I, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see if they keep him at center, man. That could be crazy. With him at center, Middleton, Meritich. Bledsoe, you know, that, that that could be something very, very intriguing. And I, I do think they go back to that, you know. And Brad Stevens has severely outcoached Budenholzer, and I didn't expect that. I thought, like, you know, Brad Stevens is everyone's, like, number one head coach and whatnot. But Budenholzer, probably going to be coach of the year. I, I know Ippy and I voted for him for coach of the year. But it's like, man, he's kind of been outcoached in this series. So we got to see how he answers back to now going on the road. It's a pretty hostile environment, you know. This was Boston's always a tough place to play for many, many reasons. So let's see how that plays out. All right, last series to touch on the Sixers and the Raptors. After Game One, everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, it's a wrap." Toronto and four sweep, right? And then Sixers, to their credit, bounce back, ninety-four, eighty-nine win in Game Two. Now they're going back for Game Three. They're going back to Philadelphia for game three, and the series is tied 1-1. Yes, I I think that, again, this Philadelphia win didn't do much for my confidence in the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I will say that it was nice to see Jimmy Butler bounce back Mm. from a horrible game one to really have a great game two. Um, It seemed like every time the Raptors tried to have some kind of comeback, uh, it was Jimmy Butler pausing it in the same uh, in the same way that we talk about Damian Lillard doing that same thing. Um, but Kawhi Leonard is 
absolutely unstoppable. Uh, the 76ers got out to a, a giant lead in the first quarter. And, you know, they say that games aren't won in the first quarter. But when you when you look at it, uh, sometimes they are, you know. And, and um, when when you uh, when you outscore someone that much in the first quarter, uh, then you have an advantage, even though the Raptors – I think outscored. I don't have the the stat in front of me. I'm trying to pull it up now, but the Raptors, I think, outscored the Sixers in quarters two, three, and four. So, if you are the 76ers, you have to be a little nervous because besides Jimmy Butler, you didn't get much from anyone else. The other highest scorer was uh, was Tobias Ennis. Harris had nine, Ennis had thirteen, Embiid yeah. had twelve. Like this isn't going to cut it. Toronto's not going to score 89 points every game. So. If you're playing this kind of game, the Sixers have an advantage, but I just think it was a really bad game uh, for Toronto. Uh, I mean, Marcus Gasol had five. Uh, Serge Ibaka had two. Um, you know, Danny Green missed a, a really easy three that he usually takes care of. He was frustrated all night. So, uh, yeah, 12, he shot one of eight from the field. So they they just squeaked out a game that, saw the the Raptors not play to their full potential. So I think that this one, I think that the Raptors have this one in hand. What Jimmy Butler did in game two kind of validates why they went and got him. Um, mm-hmm. He Like of all these guys, no one, I mean, I know the Sixers went to the playoffs last year and they won their opening round and then they got swept by Boston and whatnot. But yo, there's certain guys that look, he's not a top ten player in the league, but he's like a top twenty five, I'd say. And come crunch time, four minutes left, he became the alpha, is what I'm trying to say. And he showed you why he he thinks he's a max player. And look, he's probably gonna get the max because the team is gonna be desperate and they're gonna pay him one. It just validated to me. That was my biggest takeaway. It's like, all right, this is why they went and got Jimmy Butler, because Ben Simmons isn't creating his own shot. Joel Embiid, for as great as he is, it's kind of hard to run your offense through a center when the game's on the line Mm -hmm. because they're not really shot creators. They're kind of like back against the basket kind of dudes. So that was my big takeaway, man. And it was cool to see, like, it it reminded me of the Bulls Jimmy Butler where he was out there for 43 minutes. You know, the whole basketball game's 48. So it's like, yeah, you're just going to be out there the whole time, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure, uh, he they needed him. They did everything, and and just to put this into perspective, uh, the 76ers out rebounded the Raptors forty three to twenty seven. Um, I'm sorry, uh, fifty two to thirty six. Sorry, that was only the defensive rebound. So that's a giant giant gap in rebounds, and the more possessions, usually the teams with more possessions wins. Not to go back to that Golden State series, but I'm going to go back to it for a second. Uh, Golden State had 91 possessions to the Rockets, 71. And a lot of that had to do with the rebounds. So a, a, a lot of um, things get lost in this year, in this current day and age. Like a lot of players are, are and fans are obsessed with the ISOs and the three-pointers. But at the end of the day, like, you got to rebound. And if you don't rebound, that's a giant advantage. And you saw the 76ers take advantage of it. You saw the Warriors take advantage of it. Um, and that's going to continue to be an X factor in the series. Man, shout out to Siakam too. 
Uh-huh. Like this guy, him and Kawhi are really carrying this team. You know, Gasol, I really thought that Gasol was going to be a guy that might put him over the edge. And it, they don't seem to be getting anything from Gasol. And, Same. you know, like Kyle Lowry, he had 20, but like <laughs> expect a stinker, man. We've seen this many times. And they only got five points off their bench. I don't think that happens again. That's, you know, uh, no. I just pulled up the box score right now, and it's kind of alarming. Like, you know, Van Vliet. Uh, hit no zero goals. Ibaka one for five. Uh, Powell one for one for three. You know, so it's like five points off your bench, and then you look at the bench for the Sixers. That was the difference right there. They scored twenty six points, so twenty six to five outscored on your bench. It's a wrap. Greg Monroe ten points in eleven minutes. Yo, our, our friend Josh is losing his mind because he, <laughs> he's always been like, you know, how like everyone always has that one athlete that no matter what. You'll just always have his back. And Josh is a Pistons fan. He's like, yo, Greg Monroe is nice, son. He just got a bad rep. He was so happy that he had 10 points. <laughs> yo, Josh, by the way, shout out to Josh. One of the weirdest fandoms I've ever experienced. Like, he just chose to make himself a Detroit Pistons and a Washington Redskins fan. Like, two of the teams that probably have no chance of winning championships within the next 20 years. So, shout out to Josh for choosing to endure that shit. Yeah, and he's also a Vancouver Canucks fan. So go figure that. What? Like, what? Literally the <laughs> furthest, the furthest team in the four major sports in the United States. He's a fan of, like, it, it, as far as like furthest away from New York, where he lives. <laughs> I mean, God bless him. He chooses to put himself through this shit. Like, I don't know why, but Josh has always been a very uh, unique guy. So yeah, unique is a, a nice way to put it that nut job <laughs> all right uh staying with the series though how do you how do you think it plays out do you think it's going to be lengthy did you see enough of toronto do you think like it was just an outlier that the bench fell asleep kind of thing and gasol only gave you five points do you think like it ends maybe in five six what do you what are you thinking i think six i think the the sixers have enough to squeak one out i think on the other side I mean, the Sixers also had a bad game in terms of uh, in terms of guys who they usually expect a lot from, like J.J. Redick had 11, and Tobias Harris only had 9. Uh, he was only 3 of 11 from the field. Uh, Joel Embiid shot 28%. So these are also things that will adjust, but I do think Toronto just has the advantage. And I, the, the Sixers remind me a lot of the Rockets, and not to go back again, but the Rockets-Golden State series. Um, the, the Sixers are built very similarly uh, to the Raptors is just that everything that they do is kind of one notch uh, below uh, uh, what what the Raptors do. So um, it, I, I do think that the Sixers have a chance. I don't want to make it sound like they don't, but I do think the Raptors will take care of business probably in six. Yeah, ultimately, I think, you know, as, as the playoffs continue, it's who are your, your top two guys against my top two guys. And I don't know. I really trust Siakam right now. I know he was 9 of 25 from the field, but that's just like a young dude kind of like maybe reading the headlines and reading Twitter too much after game one. Like him and Kawhi game one absolutely dominated them. They they scored, I believe, a combined like over 70 points, you know, and it's like you're reading all the tabloids and whatnot. Who knows if he got like a hand job after the game and he was feeling <laughs> himself, but it just seemed like a classic all right you know what this is this is only your third year in the league i think and let's let's pump the brakes a little bit you know 9 of 25 is kind of crazy so i i think it might end 
I think game three is going to be really telling, you know, because I think game three, you're going to have the Philly crowd behind you. Unlike last year, you're coming back to Philly and the series is tied as opposed to being down 2-0. So I'm curious to see what game game um, three is going to be like. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a, a statistic that the guys who win game three in a 1-1 tied series uh, win almost three-fourths of the time. So uh, not only is it going to be telling just because of this particular matchup, but it's just telling in general. So I, I I think you got a good idea there, kid. <sighs> thank you, thank you. I know. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? Before when we were talking about James Harden, and we kind of had that little like delay in the pause. I think I figured out what it was. Do you know what it was? What was it? It was you couldn't believe that I admitted defeat to you. You were just you were just I, shocked. I, I'm still like in a dream world right now. I, I'm questioning reality. Is everything around me real? I don't know. I can't. I can't tell. But uh, watch now. Now that we've both said it, now James Harden will go off fifty points a game, and the Rockets will win. Yeah, yeah. Here comes like forty-five on like seventy-two percent from the field. <laughs> He's just gonna go off. Uh, hopefully, because <laughs> nah, that not, also... not for nothing though. Go ahead, go ahead. That that you know, like honestly, that's the one series everyone had circled from the beginning of the year. They're like the only team that could yeah. beat the. I mean, I for me at least, you know, and. I think one of the worst things that happened, and I guess we'll end with this, is the Clippers pushing them to six. Because I think Steve Kerr was probably like, yo, look, you guys don't bring it. Shit might happen. It's embarrassing. If yeah. you're a one seed and you go six games or seven games, you should be embarrassed. And that's what I think happened. I think that, yeah, the the I mentioned this in the last podcast that uh, maybe losing is exactly what the Warriors needed because they were kind of in cruise control. But it does seem like they've all taken taken their games to the next level. I, I haven't seen this much emotion out of Steph Curry in a long time. And, you know, shout out to Steph. We didn't even mention that he dislocated his finger, came back in the game. I know I give James Harden a lot of shit for being a uh, pussy sometimes, but the shout out to him for taking that scratch across the eyes and still coming back out. Just looking at his eyes close up made my eyes water. So that's how you know it's bad. So shout out to those two guys for being Warriors. You can tell they both want it. Um, but yeah, going back going back for a second, though, I just want to say that I will say this. Nick and I don't agree. And not to, not to suck like our own dicks or nothing, but we don't agree a lot. But when we do agree, it's, it's right almost 100% of the time. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there when, all right, so holler. That's all I got to say. Shout out Kyle, <laughs> Kyler Murray as I head to Atlantic City this weekend to cash that prop, dog. That was you. <laughs> yeah, word, 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 you. word. All right, let's, get it. let's wrap up here. Um, right. Tim, where can they find you if they want to contact you? At Tim Patrop on all social media outlets, but only if you're feeling real, real, real frisky. Uh, anything happening over at Brodo? Yeah, we actually are dropping our most popular episode for the next two years running the rookie review we are going to go over every rookie drafted that will be fantasy relevant this year uh a guy to look out for just so you know david montgomery with the bears he's mm. one of our favorites so if you want to hear more names like that uh hop over to brodo we'll be releasing an episode tonight but only after you listen to this episode of course yeah real quick not to get too uh nfl centered but speaking of rookies i really like what the Eagles did, Sanders. Mm. He might get he he's what he's another favorite because Jordan Howard's on a one year deal as well. 
Yeah, and, he might and, be another favorite. And they kind of have a bunch of guys that kind of do the same thing, like Clement and and uh, who's the other guy that was there? That like took- Smallwood. Smallwood and like Josh Adams, who was starting yeah. my flex at one point last year for like three straight games. Yeah. So yeah, I really like this kid too, man. And you know, Saquon has uh, spoken highly of him. They were teammates at Penn State. So yeah. Speaking of the NFL, I actually put out a video on my Instagram and on my Twitter um, talking about Daniel Jones and just the Giants. And it's not a video being pro Daniel Jones or against Daniel Jones. It's more like you know, a lot of times, and I kind of. I kind of bury myself too, Tim. I wasn't running to the TV screen to watch Duke football games. And I know a lot of us weren't, you know, and I'm speaking to the general public where it's like, yo, sometimes you need to maybe take a step back. You know, it is a society where we get a take and we want to just spit it out real quick. But uh, I, I did some homework. I spent a lot of time. I spent my whole weekend watching film on this dude, like actual film. Uh, Tim couldn't believe it when I told him <laughs> I watched every snap of Duke last yeah. year. And Good. it's crazy God bless you. because it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. But I did my homework and I made an honest uh, analysis of the selection and him as a player. So definitely go check that out. And as far as I go, it's at the Lamb Show, Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitch, at Veterans Minimum, Twitter, and on Instagram. Once again, if you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. Any little bit helps and it is going towards building the brand and the show uh tim did i miss anything uh at impy 718 for the injured point i mean a shooting guard there yeah yeah sometimes you know it, it's kind of like a bait and switch kind of thing you know sometimes he brings the ball up too so yeah my guy MP, go. <laughs> uh shout out MP. he'll be with us next week all right folks uh we'll catch you next time see you nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.